Hi, this is Laura Camacho, founder of Mixonian Institute at the Speak Up podcast, where we talk about the things you need to know in order to move forward professionally. Hi, so this is episode 82, and I have been working on this for so long. I This is the first longer format uh, podcast. They've been really short, and I've decided that Based on talking to people, they would like something a little bit longer, like 20, 25 minutes, at least gets them, you know, like on a ride on their drive to work or to the grocery store or to a meeting or something. And this topic for today is called what you need to know to leave mediocre conversations behind. And this is a fresh topic for me in a way I talk about it all the time, but Now I'm really pulling a lot of material together and condensing it and mixing it up. Uh, It's based on my, you know, work in a corporate hospital, a large organization of 13,000 employees uh, and how some of those conversations, whether they were performance reviews or meetings or water cooler conversations were just so mediocre, basically out of habit. Remember that all our communication is bunch of habits. I started my career with Stephen Covey and that really set a high bar for me. I was teaching Stephen Covey in Caracas, Venezuela, the seven habits of highly effective people. So anyway, on to our topic. So your success is really, if you think about it, the product of your conversation. So that includes conversations with yourself, conversations at home, conversations at work. And you may think that the book, that was such an important book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by the Master Dale Carnegie, is the ultimate communication success guide. And Carnegie's book, I found very helpful. It is great for establishing relationships and meeting people. But you need to think again. Times have changed. We have something called technology now. And we live in what we call the distraction economy, which means, you know, that we're spending on average over 10 hours a day on screens. And a lot of times we're not only on one screen, but we're multi-screening, like you're listening to a webinar and you're on your phone at the same time. So we have shorter attention spans. We have people that are, it's more difficult to engage them because a lot of the tricks that people use to keep you engaged either in a video game or just on online, they've uh, built up this kind of resistance to getting engaged. We see things flashing and we notice them, but we don't engage. On top of that, we have something called keyboard activism. And I know that you've seen this, the Facebook posts that treat these very complex issues as something very simple where someone who disagrees with you, they're called awful names, and there's really no discussion of the topic, just kind of yelling at each other. I just dislike that so much. And then we also have on top of that meme messaging. So think about how many times instead of writing out the words, we just send a a GIF or a meme. And so we're, we're used to having that visual component to our conversations. And it's just all of these factors have resulted in a lower quality of conversations. You have people who don't know how to have any kind of small talk, or if they do, it's super boring. 
And you have people that ramble. I think we have an increase in the problem of rambling, that people are not, they don't know how to structure what they want to say. So they just talk and talk and talk. And then when you combine that with a shorter attention span, it's just a really negative experience. So Dale Carnegie taught us a lot of skills that get us to the door, but things like to get rid of rejection or that boring attitude, that's something separate. Rejection blockers and meh stoppers are sold separately. So I've been researching and teaching success communication skills since the 1990s, and I am sharing three, just three, because I know you don't have much of an attention span, three differentiators that you can take your conversations out of the sandbox of mediocrity. And you want your conversations to be useful. So a useful conversation is one that serves a purpose. It doesn't mean that you never just shoot the breeze or never say, hey, could you pass the salt? Uh, if you are in overwhelm, as most of us are, you want to have more productive conversations and less blah, blah, blah. You want clarity. You want relevancy. You want people to get to the freaking point in less than five minutes. So without further ado, number one is to make it a scene. Make your conversation a scene. So during the time, and this is like a, over 100 years ago, when Dale Carnegie was teaching extroverted communication tips to people in business, Russian acting coach Konstantin Stanislavsky faced a crisis in theater. At that time, an actor's job was to portray a certain emotional cliche at the command of the director. There were even lists of spe specific gestures and facial expressions, body language, emotions that actors had to learn and perform perfectly. It was, re it was really like a recipe or a formula that they were following. Acting consisted of these strained line readings with overacted emotions. And you might have seen this on some low-quality television show or movies. And film and theater directors and actors in their work frequently have discussions about certain objectives when they work on their scene. And this is because Stanislavski introduced these new tools. And listen to this carefully. So there's this super objective. Now I know you know what an objective is, but there's a super objective. And I've taught this in my communication styles workshop. People find it so helpful. But in theater, a super objective is what your character wants more than anything from life throughout the whole film or the play. So it's this overriding objective, like their purpose in this story. And then you have the scene objective, like what does your character want more than anything in this scene? So take those ideas and I want you to think of a conversation objective. What do you want from this conversation? And it doesn't have to be, you know, curing cancer or world hunger. It can be, I want to build a relationship with my son. But here is this other tool that's even more important because it's deeper and it fills in like the color and the nuance of your conversation to make it more purposeful. Your super objective, like what do you want from this relationship? Because your 
in conversation with people and with these people you have relationships. So let's look at an example. Let's say you need to correct a report's behavior. So your conversation objective would be to make that person aware of what he is doing wrong and the impact of that behavior on the group or the company and expectations moving forward. You know, that's a simple feedback conversation, very designed to change one specific behavior. However, your super objective would be to develop this employee's professional potential. So the super objective informs the entire conversation and that forces you to be more thoughtful in how you express what needs to be said. It, it just makes it, it lifts it from like a formula to something very meaningful. So what would be an action point? So before you have any kind of significant conversation, Go over in your head, maybe write it down, these two objectives. My conversation objective, to deliver this message, to close this sale, to get the raise, to ask for, to work from home. But what is your super objective? So it could be, you know, you want to develop this employee's potential, but if you are asking for something like say you want to work from home one day a week you also want besides asking for that specific thing your super objective might be you want to make sure this person understands the value that you are adding all right number two deliver value nudges that might be a new concept to you so a, you know what value is you know what a nudge is so a value nudge indicates the purpose of your topic of conversation or you could think of relevancy so this could be a surprising statistic like you could if you wanted to work from home and that's not normal in your company you could point out statistics about how many people are working from home and how productive they are or it could be like a decree from the top management or it could be a technology change but the purpose of the value nudge is to keep focus on what is the benefit of what you're saying to your audience. And this is to help with engagement, to let the person know that what you're saying is relevant to them because that's our tendency today is to think, oh, well, that, that doesn't affect me. I'm gonna tune out and check my messages. So let's say here's an, a couple of examples. I'm talking to someone at an event, a networking or community building event, and I've just met her and I want her to know something about my company and I want her to remember my name and just a little bit of what I do. So after asking her what she's excited about these days, I share that I'm excited about a new coaching results measurement tool I've, I've developed. And then I deliver the value nudge, which is why this tool could have value for her or others. So I could say, did you know that one of the biggest barriers to adapting a coaching culture in a company is the lack of measurement tools? In my experience, I found that asking certain specific questions before and after coaching someone leads to useful metrics to measure coaching outcomes. Or another example, in the case of giving feedback, the value nudge could be to remind the person of your super objective of why this feedback is personally and professionally relevant to the employee. It is easy to think that this value is obvious. It is not. 
Uh, think about if you've ever taken a spin class or any kind of exercise class, how motivating it is when you're really in pain because of the intensity of the exercise and the instructor reminds you that you're getting stronger or you're you know, doing something with your lactic acid or building your endurance. Something, a benefit, that's a value nudge. So what's an action point? Depending on the length of your message, prepare some, say, two or three benefits to your audience, which could be one person or a thousand, benefits of what you want to say. Now, these don't have to be life-changing. It could be a small and specific way your feedback or your message is relevant to your particular audience. And again, that is to engage a disengaged audience. Of course, if you're giving out $100 bills, you don't have to pay attention to this. All right, number three, seek positive interpretations. And there's so much research about positivity. There's two things you need to know about it. And one is that the, the research overwhelmingly points to the benefits of optimism and positivity in a leader's outlook and communication. Why? It's not because you're ignoring the problems. It's because you have greater resiliency and creativity. Oh, and that was a value nudge, by the way. Another benefit of developing strong positivity muscles is that the conviction that any setback is temporary avoids the emotional hijacking of your brain. A positive interpretation to any situation is not to deny the problem, but to acknowledge that it can be solved and that the potential is there even to make things better than before. Example, let's consider the fictional case of two managers who lose their jobs on the same day. Positive Paula believes this is a chance to get some rest and then pursue the possibility of a career change. Negative Neil gets caught in the cycle of binge-watching Game of Thrones, ordering pizza, and drinking beer. Which of these two people is more likely to get caught up in mediocre conversations? Action point number three. The next challenge you face, which will probably be in the next five minutes, <laughs> ask yourself, what is the best possible outcome that could result from this problem? I mean, just don't be realistic at this point. You simply want to avoid getting on a negative track. After some effort conjuring up some possible attractive solutions, look at it again with fresh, positive eyes and see what pops into your field of vision. So the point of the positivity is not to just not see the problem is to have greater resiliency, to not be knocked out of the game or knocked down for as long of time. It's just a competitive thing. And it's harder. It is harder to be positive. It takes more work and more creativity, but it's totally worth it. You are not mediocre. So you want to have conversations that are compelling, concise, and relevant, and if you do that, you're gonna stand out in a sea of talent as someone who has a point of view worth following. So I'm gonna review these three tips really briefly for you once again. To make it a scene, remember your super objective 
is what you want from the relationship versus your conversation objective, which is what you want from that conversation. Number two, deliver value nudges. Like remind people why what you're saying is relevant. Not in a big, big, big way. Just little things why you want to hear that. And this is, by the way, all of these are relevant to not only conversations at a meeting, but in presentations. And number three, seek positive interpretations. Always look for an upside, a potential upside, because if you don't look for it, you are not going to find it for sure. All righty, use these tips. There's only three. Teach them to your team. You are welcome. And if you want help in creating these really high leverage conversations, I offer private coaching and workshops. The website where you can read and find out more about what McSonian Institute has to offer is at www.m as in Mary, I-X-O-N-I-A-N.com. Remember, McSonian rhymes with Smithsonian. And I'm signing out. Until the next time, bye-bye. <music>